0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Welcome to the Skorkbox. Here are your headlines today. US stocks slip after disappointing earnings from Goldman Sachs and Citigroup, while Asian shares trade mostly in the green after solid China home price data in an exclusive interview with cnbc chicago fed president charles evans says interest rates can stay on hold into the fall of 2020. you can
2: see the funds rate being uh, flat and unchanged into the fall of 2020. for me that's to help support the inflation outlook and make sure that it's uh, sustainable and two or a little bit above that would be fine too
3: A massive fire sweeps through Notre-Dame in Paris, causing the cathedral's roof and spire to collapse as French President Emmanuel Macron vows to rebuild the historic landmark.
4: I'm solemnly telling you tonight, this cathedral will be rebuilt by all of us together. And it's probably part of France's destiny and it will be our project for the years to come. I'm committed to this.
3: Italy's Deputy Prime Minister Luigi Di Maio tells CNBC Rome will stay on its anti-austerity course and the strategy won't lead to another standoff with the EU.
5: I'm sure that in the negotiating phase with the EU we won't have any battle, any tension. That's because our industrial production is better than in other countries. Maybe other countries should worry.
3: Well, a very warm welcome to Squawk Box this morning. We are here in Europe following a down day for Wall Street. As you can see beside me, all three major industry indices slipped into negative territory yesterday. This was led by financials as lackluster earnings from Goldman Sachs and Citi weighed on overall investor sentiment. Also worth noting that volumes were particularly low yesterday. So we did see a down day, but it wasn't through a a whole lot of movement there. So NASDAQ ending about 10 basis points lower. S&P down about six basis points, breaking a three-day win streak. And the Dow down about 10 basis points with Goldman uh, proving to have the most negative impact on that index. Let's take a look at Asian markets and see how this is filtering through. Very different picture. Uh, And the Asian markets this overnight have seen gains accelerate in late trade. This comes after we saw gains in home prices for China uh, to the tune of 10.6% year-on-year growth in March. So providing a bit of a boost to sentiment in the Chinese markets in particular, the Shanghai up 1.1%. Nikkei 225 also trading higher in the overnight session, about 24 basis points up at the moment. Uh, And this comes after the US and Japan have started uh, trade negotiations in Washington yesterday. So overall green picture in Asia in contrast to what we saw on Wall Street yesterday. Let's move over to Europe and have a look at opening calls, see how we're looking to start the day here. It looks as though we're going to see that green handover from Asia filter through to European sentiment uh, with the all four major indices looking for a higher start for European trade. Karen?
1: Juliana, thank you. A fire has engulfed Notre Dame, Cathedral in Paris, destroying large parts of the 850-year-old building. Firefighters brought the blaze under control after an eight-hour battle, which saw the cathedral's roof and spire collapse. The Paris prosecutor's office has opened an investigation into the incident. While the cause is yet to be determined, police say it began accidentally and could be linked to ongoing restoration work. NBC's Richard Engel filed this report
5: a symbol of Paris, the iconic Notre Dame Cathedral, will never be the same. Smoke and fire were first spotted among the scaffolding around 6.30 p.m. Clouds of ash quickly spread across the City of Lights as flames tore through the roof of the 850-year-old Gothic masterpiece. I saw so much smoke and I was like, I was wondering what's going on here. More than an hour in, while the mayor announced that firefighters were working to contain the blaze, no jets of water or airdrops of water could be seen from a distance. Then, as spectators watched in horror. Oh
6: my God, these people just fell inside the church. Oh 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 my God.
5: The cathedral's towering lead and wood spire came crashing down, stoking the flames even more. President Trump first tweeted, perhaps flying water cannons could be used and that firemen must act quickly.
2: This probably no cathedral in the world like it. It's a, tar- it's a terrible scene.
5: Stunned onlookers gathered outside, some weeping, as flames poured out of this city's beloved church, one of the most famous tourist attractions in the world. Visited by 13 million every year, the flames appeared to center around a section of the cathedral's roof near the nave of the church. As night fell over Paris, the fire kept raging. Crowds were ordered to stay back, All nearby roads were closed. Firefighters in a desperate bid to stop the fire, but losing. French President Emmanuel Macron visiting the site, calling it a national emergency. Tonight, French authorities have launched an investigation into the cause. According to French media reports, the fire could be linked to a $6.8 million renovation that was underway. This photo showing one of the 16 copper statues being lifted away for restoration last week. Tonight, a global treasure still on fire. Authorities trying to prepare the nation and the world, saying it's possible Notre Dame may not be saved.
1: NBC's Richard Engel with that report. World leaders have expressed their shock at the fire. UK Prime Minister Theresa May tweeted that her thoughts are with the people of France, while German Chancellor Angela Merkel and President Trump also offered their condolences. The Vatican has also expressed its shock and sadness at the incident. Speaking in Paris, French President Emmanuel Macron vowed to restore the cathedral.
2: Alors je vous le dis très solennellement
4: ce soir. I'm solemnly telling you tonight, this cathedral will be rebuilt by all of us together. And it's probably part of France's destiny, and it will be our project for the years to come. I'm committed to this. Starting tomorrow, a national fundraising campaign to restore Notre Dame will be launched, and this beyond our borders. We will call upon the greatest talents, and there are a lot of them that will contribute, and we will rebuild. We will rebuild Notre Dame because this is what the French expect because this is what our history deserves, because it's our
5: profound destiny.
1: Divine intervention, though, for Macron, perhaps. Uh, I think it's fair to say that was not how he intended to spend the evening. He had a planned address, at a press conference at the Elysee Palace to talk about measures in response to the Yellow Vest protests. Instead, he's handed an emergency, and he uh, is straight down there with his wife and ministers to uh, confront what is, of course, seen that uh, is not uh, exactly how Catholics and Christians expected to uh, also, uh, I guess, spend the lead-up to Easter, one of the key religious holidays coming up. And uh, some irony here too, you know, one of the the symbols of Easter, the crown of thorns that was placed on Jesus's head, was originally stored in Notre Dame. It seems to have been saved, um, but uh, a a key relic. And uh, the symbolism no doubt will be uh, spoken about in many masses over the uh, Easter holiday.
3: Absolutely, I think a, a testament to the strength of the building. Seeing some of the footage from the interior post the the bulk of the fire now being put out, it's remarkable how much remains intact on the on the bright side. And I think Notre Dame, through its existence, has been built and rebuilt. It's part of what gives its character. So, in a you know somewhat of a, a bright spot,
1: this is part of its history. That is true, isn't it? It took what two hundred odd years to build originally, and it's been constantly in a state of rest renovation. And now with the the latest destruction of that spire and the the roof needing to be rebuilt, it will be uh, a, a quite significant renovation. I believe there were already uh, issues in terms of funding, the renovation that was taking place. The government had put up some money, but there was a huge gap. So there was a a fundraising appeal from the cathedral to try and cover the cost, but already overnight we've heard uh, that uh, the boss of Caring has pledged a whole lot of money and others have also offered their support to try and help now with uh, rebuilding what is a, a huge symbol for the Catholic church, Christian church.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, well, a devastating event. Uh, We will be keeping an eye as everybody else will. While shifting gears, Goldman Sachs and Citigroup have posted lackluster first quarter results, beating profit estimates but falling short in revenues amid a tougher market environment for trading and investing. Goldman cut compensation expenses to offset a 13% fall in revenue. Meanwhile, Citi said its earnings were boosted after it brought back around $4 billion in shares. Now shares in both lenders finished the day in the red. Bank of America and BlackRock are set to post their Q1 earnings later today. And BlackRock Chairman and CEO Larry Fink will be speaking exclusively to our colleagues in the U.S. at 1130 CET, so be sure to keep an eye out for that. And meanwhile, Chicago Fed President Charles Evans has told CNBC that inflation is weaker than he would like to see. He told our U.S. colleagues that rates can stay unchanged until autumn 2020 to support the inflation outlook and ensure sustainability.
2: I put in... Uh, PROJECTION OF WHAT I THINK APPROPRIATE MONETARY POLICY IS THAT IS UNDERLYING THE FORECAST THAT I HAVE. SO I SAID I HAVE A FORECAST FOR uh, 2% GROWTH, uh, SAY, IN uh, 2019. Um, AND IT'S BEEN DECELERATING. AND I THINK THAT THE UNEMPLOYMENT RATE IS LIKELY TO GO SIDEWAYS. IT'S AT 3.8. MAYBE IT GOES DOWN A LITTLE BIT. MAYBE IT DOESN'T, uh, DEPENDING ON LABOR FORCE PARTICIPATION. What is um, a little concerning to me is that inflation has been underrunning two percent, and I had been thinking that inflation was finally going to uh, be solid, hit two percent in a sustained basis, maybe go over a little bit. That was my projection, and on the strength of that, I had, as you know, recently as uh, September and December, thought that maybe a couple of rate hikes were our future because inflation's a little bit lighter, um, hmm. the economy's doing fine. I think I said uh, last, a couple of weeks ago, that uh, I can see the funds rate being uh, flat and unchanged into the fall of 2020. For me, that's to help support the inflation outlook and make sure that it's uh, sustainable. So, and two or a little bit above, that would be fine too. So is December looking like it was a mistake to hike rates? No, I don't I don't think so. Um, I'm quite comfortable with the rate move decision and everything that we said in in December. The funds rate is at two and a quarter to two and a half percent. That's what we're targeting. That's a good place to be with the unemployment rate at 3.8 percent. I think that that can support continued employment growth. I don't know what maximum employment is exactly. I think we can continue to probe wage growth at three to three and a quarter percent is indicating Yeah, businesses tell me that uh, labor market conditions are tight. They're having trouble finding workers, but they're bidding that up and we keep getting employment growth. So I think that's a good environment. And until cost pressures lead to higher inflation, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm happy to just sort of uh, be data dependent and look at how things are playing out.
3: Elsewhere, Bank of Japan Governor Haruhiko Kuroda says there is room for cutting interest rates. He told CNBC that while it's not necessary at this stage, the Japanese economy has, quote, slightly slowed down, in part due to weaker exports to China. Kuroda also flagged his biggest risk to the global economy.
4: At this stage, I must say that
2: uh, that uh, uh, trade uh, protection, not only uh, between U.S. and, and China, but there are some sort of uh, protectionism that is i think the most serious risk uh, involved in the global economy
3: well let's bring in valentine marinov head of g10 fx research from credit agricole we just heard there from from fed president charles evans that he thinks rates could remain unchanged well into the fall of uh, 2020 that doesn't sound like data dependent to me
4: well, I mean, certainly that pause that the Fed embarked on is getting longer and longer by the day, and in our view, that ultimately means that the Fed is really done hiking rates uh, for this uh, tightening uh, cycle as a whole. So the communication uh, from here likely to become more dovish, not necessarily more hawkish, uh, if you wish, and uh, the comments uh, really overnight are an indication of that. That the pause that we are experiencing at the moment likely to get even longer, with uh, ultimately leading to the first rate cut uh, by the Fed down the the road.
3: At this point, do you think the dollar is already pricing this in and this increasingly dovish rhetoric just sort of falls by the wayside because the dollar is already there?
4: Well, there are a couple of things uh, as, as a dollar driver, really, a dollar driver, is really. Uh, one is the fact that, indeed, the yield momentum uh, that has been helping the dollar for so long across the board, that build up in rate hike expectations uh, is uh, unfortunately no longer there. If you look at uh, the rate differential, really, dollar versus any currency in the G10 space, actually, the dollar is losing great advantage as we speak. The dollar is not responding to that as yet if only because it is still the currency with the biggest rate advantage out there. So they're two conflicting drivers. So down the road, I think that the loss of yield momentum will start dominating. And that is consistent with our more bearish, longer-term dollar projections. But at the moment, we're kind of stuck, really, between those two conflicting drivers. I
1: just want to draw you in on some of Charles Evans' comments. I mean, this is a man who was a noted dove, then a one point turned hawkish. And you saw in the clip there, he was defending the rate hike in December, uh, where many of the markers thought well, there might have been one rate hike too many. What do you think? Because there has been some criticism. Stephen Moore, whose Trump's uh, nominee, suggested that that uh, rate hike was a substantial mistake. Do you think it was a mistake to, to hike into year-end?
4: Well, I mean, for the Fed, at the moment, it's quite difficult to justify uh, uh, rate hikes given the lack of inflation. That said, they do need the ammunition to fight the next downturn. So from that point of view, to call it a mistake maybe a bit going too far. If anything, what was quite astonishing to me was the almost complete turnaround that we got from Powell and his colleagues. Really, only mere weeks after the hike, the way they changed their view on the economy and indeed the communication. So I guess uh, the current Fed is very uh, finely tuned to what the market is telling them. Certainly, the, the fact that the president, a President Trump, is somewhat involved, more involved than previous presidents in the monetary policy uh, of the country, is, is helping that. But on the- the whole, I would think that uh, down the road, it may be the case that the markets' resentment may continue to dictate where really uh, Fed rates will be heading. So, from that point of view, I guess that uh, uh, our conclusion stays right. So, we think that the Fed may be done for the time being,
1: really we hiking rates. We're debating rates. this week about just how long you can stay up, you know, in no man's land, not hiking, not cutting, before the market gets nervous. So, you know, it's quite unusual territory well, to be in. Right. We,
4: we did have that in 2006, really, uh, once the Fed's tightening cycle peaked. At around uh, really six five uh, percent uh, uh, rather uh, in policy rates, and that took us uh, quite some time, like like really uh, close to a year before they really considered uh, cutting uh, rates. So it's not unheard of. I guess uh, what is quite important uh, and different from uh, previous experiences is that the Fed does have a choice, uh, really, of tools really uh, to use, uh, really in lieu of a rate cut, uh, 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 if you wish. So from that point of view, we think that. Before even they consider cutting rates, the Fed will have to go through really obviously putting an end to the quantitative tightening uh, program, but potentially even considering adding uh, really to its balance sheet before long, before they really uh, go down the route uh, of uh, cutting rates.
1: QE has become a legitimate tool, a go-to tool these days valentin thank you very much. We're squeezing a quick break here. Coming up on the show, Luigi Di Maio sees green shoots in the Italian economy, even as the country slides into a technical recession. More from our first on interview with Italy's Deputy Prime Minister right after the break.
3: Saudi mall operator Arabian Centres has announced it intends to list on the Tadawul. The IPO will see 20% of the firm sold on the Saudi stock exchange and will be the kingdom's biggest listing in five years. Hadley now joins us with more from Abu Dhabi. Hadley, thank you for uh, joining us this morning. What more can you tell us about this deal?
6: good morning juliana so this is a really big deal for the company you have to remember of course that when it comes to the mall business nobody does it better than the gcc countries certainly saudi arabia as well they have a population of around 34 million people they have the baked in audience for this kind of thing given the fact that it's usually too hot in the Middle East to spend more than six months outside per year. Now, this is a company, of course, that says they're seeking as much as one billion million from this listing in the second quarter of this year. The offering may start as soon as April 28th. This is a company, Arabian Centers, that operates uh, some 19 malls today across 10 cities inside the kingdom. They've got more set to open this year, as many as three, and the expectation that by 2023, they're going to have as many as 27 malls open inside the kingdom. I think it's interesting. This means a maximum 10 percent of this listing uh, is going to be allocated to retail investors. This, of course, is largest economy in the Gulf Arab countries. This is an economy that really has over the last several years kept so many other countries in a sense afloat. Certainly uh, has a very big knock on effect to other economies in this region, the UAE in particular, Egypt as well. And of course, with the mall business, this is a company, Arabian Centers, that operates um, with some 14 percent of the market share. So you've got a young and growing population, 34 million people, the largest economy in the region, and certainly a heck of a lot of excitement already about the potential for this IPO. Guys,
1: well, you've sparked a big debate on the set about nobody doing malls as well as uh, the, the region there in the, in the Middle East or the Gulf. But, I don't know, American malls? Juliana, you might want to get involved. I've seen some pretty good malls elsewhere, Valentin. No,
3: absolutely. I think they do. And here in the UK, I mean, watching Westfield's progression and what they're doing and their whole model of bringing all kinds of entertainment to a mall, it's no longer just a place to shop. I mean, it feels somewhat cyclical, like we've been here before with malls being a destination, but it it does feel like they're reintroducing it in an age of everything happening online. There's no
1: aquarium and there's no ski slope, but (laughs) there's a a Kidzania, there's, uh, you know, lots of other things.
4: Uh, it's also the case. I mean, it's ultimately up to the consumer, right? So, so, and I guess, the, uh, I mean, the country is known for the prowess of their consumers. And in the Anglo-Saxon economies. And I guess uh, the spread, spreading of malls and all that, is a function of that more than anything else, right? So, so, I guess you have to start somewhere, uh, but just imposing a mall on a place that's not really known for its uh, consumer spending uh, really habits, all right? Maybe a riskier business oh, than the Hardly
1: the right reply. Later on in the show, uh, I think she's not on the, on the line with us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's an important debate
3: to be had, yeah, though.
1: indeed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> from the home of shopping malls, it's always good to have your feedback there.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I think sometimes when I'm feeling homesick here in London, I do go to the shopping
1: malls around <laughs> the UK. <laughs> Shall we push on and talk about um, markets? Because, uh, I mean, some of the action we saw yesterday, a bit of a fade in that risk appetite, didn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean, part of it comes
1: down to low volumes. I think in the U.S., I mean, we had
3: J.P. Morgan coming out on Friday with their strong results, setting quite an upbeat tone for sentiment heading into the rest of reporting season. And then yesterday, we had City and Goldman Sachs come through with a little bit more mixed results. But I mean, coming back to uh, to your expertise in FX markets, part of the uh, difficulty that these banks have had in the first quarter of the year come down to low volatility possibility. And yeah. how long do you think this low-vol regime for currencies is going to persist? Uh, well,
4: it is hurting a lot of people at the moment. It's fact, it, it's, it's the case that uh, for many people, the lack of volatility reflects the tight ranges we're having in the FX markets. And indeed, in turn, that reflects the lack of conviction about uh, which way uh, things will go from here. And it kind of also explains why the dollar is also oh, so supported, because if you look at the flow data, right, investors are not necessarily uh, liking the dollar because of its uh, uh, stock markets or Indeed, we don't see any inflows into the U.S. stock market. If you look at the latest tick data, for example, instead, what we are seeing is that investors are piling in onto dollar cash, short term, short dated uh, securities denominated in dollars where investors are trying to profit from the dollar, still huge rate advantage against so-called funding currencies, the euro, the Swiss, the yen, right? So you can call it a carry trade, but I think it could could be also a sign of desperation. Just investors don't really have a strong view anywhere. All they do, they're hoping that the FX fall will remain low, FX doesn't have to go anywhere. You don't have to have a strong directional view all you need to do is to earn the carry and uh, that's a dominant theme and we think that for the time being that may remain the theme uh, really uh, for here all that said however uh, really I hope that uh, with uh, some evidence of green shoots really uh, across uh, the globe really with uh, the trade war concerns really abating, Brexit concerns even abating with some evidence that the Eurozone economy may be starting uh, to improve as well, you would be starting To see investors looking for diversification opportunities away from the dollar, right? So so it's like, and that may then ultimately translate in more directional bets, but then uh, I guess uh, the path of least resistance in that case would be weaker dollar if you're looking indeed for uh, dollar alternatives as the world starts to look a bit more interesting yes. and uh, really start yes. to diverge away from the yeah, u.s certainly more
1: optimistic tone there valentin i want to just push on to italy because italy will not see any further downgrades to its growth forecast, according to deputy prime minister luigi de maio speaking to cnbc while meeting with business leaders in the uae de maio added that italy's economic targets are quote positive compared to other european countries
0: When we forecasted 1% GDP growth, Germany expected 1.9% growth. Now Germany is fighting to achieve 0.5% growth. So our targets are positive compared to other European nations. We're not resigned to 0% growth and we're passing a series of laws to boost growth in Italy. We're passing two laws which are aimed at helping our companies access credit. Those two laws will help us grow, but this comes in a context where the U.S. China trade war and Brexit are blocking both European exports and European production.
2: Italy continues to underperform the eurozone. The economy is now in a technical recession. Can we expect to see further downgrades to the growth target from this point on?
0: We don't expect further downgrades because we are going in a different direction. We want to increase Italy's industrial production. I have to say that apart from the data that I have already mentioned, our industrial production growing by 0.8% compared to Germany's minus 2% and Italy's 0.2% growth this year, our exports are increasing despite multiple challenges. In January, they have reached 2.9% and every time exports grow, they hit new records for our country in absolute terms. Last year, we have achieved the absolute value of exports in the world. Exports continue growing. I think that Italy is on the right track. We have completed a first phase for our government. We have protected the most vulnerable people in society by approving the universal basic income and the pensions reform. Now we are in the second phase. In this second phase, we want to invest in our industries and in growth. Those two things can be achieved by boosting exports and innovation. I'm here to talk about those things with the UAE government.
4: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.